Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Work Meets Life. I'm Dr. Laura, and today's episode is on extraordinary cultures, the evolution of inclusion to belonging with Lauren Rubis. And I'm just so honored to be able to interview Lauren today. I've known Lauren for, oh, probably close to a decade. Uh, Lauren is a prolific uh influencer and thought leader around cultures and making organizations great. And he's had a prolific 40-year career in culture, leadership transformation. He's worked in several C-suite roles across Europe and North America. I met him when he was uh, chief people officer uh, at ATB, um, an organization here based in Alberta, but actually uh, ended up being one of the best or the best organization to work for in Canada during his tenure there. And what I really admire about Lauren is he's always innovating and creating uh, ideas to continue making organizations better and better and making the world a better place to be. And for that, I'm really appreciative. Welcome to the podcast, Lauren. Hey, thanks so much, Laura. And uh, I can tell your audience that you and your partner, Tom, at that time were instrumental in helping us at ATB with our cultural initiative. And I'm so delighted that our paths uh, not only cross, but we stay connected in our commitment to advancing work and culture and integrating it into richer, more uh, wholesome lives. So thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. Thank you, Lauren. So you're currently among the many things you do. One of them that really caught my attention is being the co-founder of Belongify.com. The other is the great work you do around cultures and the cultural elements. So I want to talk a bit about each today. So for our audience, can you kind of sum up these two endeavors that you're involved with? Yeah, so... uh... You know, Steve Jobs, as he was uh, unfortunately kind of coming to the end of his uh, life, um, was quite thoughtful and insightful around sharing this perspective that was very difficult to uh, look at patterns and connect the dots looking forward, but that if you had an opportunity to, you could do so by looking backwards and um, and building from there. And so... Uh, as I kind of moved through my career and kind of decided what I wanted to do after being the chief uh, people officer at ATV, I started to think about, you know, what did I really learn? What was the body of work out of my 40 years of experience? What dots could I connect that might inform how to move forward from a organization culture perspective? And combining that with, you know, con- you know uh, advanced social research, I began to think about set of ingredients that would form or inform organizations around what might be necessary to help create extraordinary and highly adaptive cultures. And um, it became clear to me that every organization, of course, has a culture and that it's moving one way or another. It's organic and it's either moving towards thriving or slipping back towards uh, something less than that. And it's worst, it's toxic. So my research kind of established what I call the integrated cultural elements, and there are 10 of them. And those elements then have become a foundation for me to 
have a conversation to bring leadership into um, sort of a common perspective and alignment and to create these conditions for advancing culture. And it's also the basis of a course, uh, course that I'm teaching at Harvard. As a matter of fact, I have my eighth cohort starting there this week, and I have 41 people from around uh, from around North America and the world joining me at my Harvard class on how might we build extraordinary culture. So that's kind of um, sort of one sort of pillar of my work. It's very strategic, tends to aim at uh, leaders or leadership groups that have the ability to influence sort of a broader uh, broader group or broader organization, typically uh, leaders in top leadership positions. And the other area is around belonging. And um, I began to reflect on if I had a chance to be the CEO again, and I've been a CEO of a couple of companies, that I'd want to really invest in belonging at the individual team and leadership level, because I think that's been sort of a missing ingredient at that kernel or the core of our organizations that that we might invest in that really might advance us. So those are the two areas where I'm spending most of my time right now. Okay. So what led to your passion to help make organizational cultures better? You know, I had this incredible experience very early in my career. Um, when I finished my undergraduate work, I really uh, wanted to be just a jock, honestly. I had, you know, I graduated from the University of Alberta. I played every sport growing up. I played college football for the University of Alberta, Gold Bears. And um, I just loved athletics. I loved coaching teams, being part of teams. And so I thought, what a great life. I'm going to be a teacher, a phys ed teacher. Maybe one day I'll be a principal or something. I don't know. But so I was 21 years old, and I got assigned to this school in northeastern uh, Edmonton. And the school uh, was a junior high school and elementary school. And frankly, uh, it was in a tougher part of the community. Um, and it had a mix. It, frankly, the morale of the school was from a sports perspective. And overall, it was quite low. It was, it was just seemed to be vanilla, almost flat. And I had a chance to coach every team almost um, uh, except where there was, you know, sort of conflict. I couldn't be in two places at one time, but I just dug in to this school. And with a phenomenal uh, faculty and kids and parents, in four years, we reinvented that school. And it was incredible. On my last day there, as I decided to leave and go to graduate school, because I realized I had to work my so hard for very little money <laughs> that that I thought maybe I should go into graduate school and see if I could take. But anyway, I uh, the the last day was we were having our sort of our celebration and we we're uh, like you typically do at the end of a school year. The kids got up on their chairs as they were saying goodbye to me, and uh, they applauded for about I don't know what seemed like eternity. I sat on the stage and cried like a big baby. I realized they were not applauding me. They were applauding what we did, what we collectively did. And I was just struck by the impact that you could have on a place that one could have. And that wonderful inspiration, and I thank those kids of St. Nicholas forever. As a matter of fact, I've stayed in contact with a number of them. Uh, and, you know, that was, you know, 
geez, almost 50 years ago. So that tells you the, um, and Mark Messier was actually one of my students. And of course, for those of you that follow hockey, he's a Hall of Famer, but, um, but that was an incredible, and that I took that inspiration with me everywhere I went around how might I contribute as part of to create conditions where the culture was extraordinary. And I've been blessed with that, yeah. That is so inspiring. I think you are just such an amazing uh, leader and influencer. And you've touched so many lives. And I want to understand this whole belonging. So this this mission you're on to uh, increase the feeling of belonging and to co-found Belongify. Tell us what inspired that at this stage of your career. I have a similar story. um, And I'm, I'm now... Uh, writing another book uh, that I hope to have done by the end of the year. And it's sort of the beginning of the book. And I was six years old and lived in a farm. And um, and I remember my mother walking me, Laura, to the bus. It was a yellow bus. Um, I was six years old, my first day of school. And as I walked towards the bus, she's standing there holding this black Kodak box camera. And I'm getting ready to go on that bus. And I remember walking up the steps of that bus. And it was, I looked and it was like the the whole bus stopped mid-space. There was dead silence. The bus was full. Um, kids from, you know, right from high school, right through to me, grade one. And there was only one seat left. One seat. And... I, I ambled over to that seat and I reluctantly took it and I turned my back to the person who was sitting by the window and I planted my seat, my feet in the aisle. And then the bus burst out laughing and they started this refrain called that said, scabies, scabies, scabies. And the young uh, girl that was sitting beside me, I'll never forget her, and I can picture her today, was a black indigenous girl. And her face was looking out the window and I could still see her glancing back at me. And me uh, now beat red, my face like a turnip red, as a six-year-old, not really, but, but feeling horrible and ashamed at what just happened. First, that I would turn my back on this. And I realized how much I felt what below, what the pain of not belonging felt like. And to be part of that and to not know how to navigate it. And, you know, I can explain myself being six years old, not really having the skills to really understand it. But I've always thought about what she felt like and how horrible she felt and how that has stuck with me that story for since that time when i was six and i've always thought that wherever i could i'd want to try and find a way to make everybody included everybody to belong and to be part of and you know i've been blessed with an opportunity to try and influence that more directly but that story uh, is a tattoo I can't scrub off 
and nor should I. And it's been a painful, lingering uh, inspiration for me to try and be a better human being and to try and influence that in a different wow, way. What a powerful story. Um, and in this day and age, thank goodness, there's a lot more awareness and discussion around inclusion and belonging, which leads me to my next question. What's the difference between inclusion and belonging? And why is this evolving? Yeah, so the CEO of Mercer, uh, uh, you know, one of the larger companies um, in Canada, and honestly, I'm not sure she still is the CEO, but I, I think she is. She wrote, she's um, a black woman who wrote an article in the Globe and Mail a couple of years ago. And um, she said that when she became the CEO of Mercer, that she realized that how important that we evolve from inclusion. And so, and the huge commitment obviously she has to DE&I, to diversity, equity, and inclusion, but that she was committed to make a difference at the belonging level, that that's where we had to evolve. And her argument was that uh, it was one thing to be there where you're included and but that, and I'm trying to paraphrase her, and hopefully I can do justice to her intent here, is that she never just wanted to be a representative. She wanted to be, she wanted to belong because she was Jackie. So she, yes, she was. She is a black woman, proud of it, and that's part of exactly who she is. And and never to obviously do anything but to honor every sweet and wonderful part of who we are. And though that we had to evolve from just being part of a representative group to be there as who we were as individuals and to be seen to be fully contribute for what individually we were while we were all the other things that made us up. And I was just, uh, I thought, you know, she was obviously writing and sharing that from a voice of DEI that's far more uh, credible than mine. But I thought I could do something about making something happening about the belonging level at the individual level. And I started to think about, could we put me back in we the right kind of way? Like we is always greater than me and than I, I, and I believe that. However, there is a place for you and I, the me has to be in we. And so what if everybody could feel like they could belong, that they could bring their full authentic self, that they could fully contribute not every day, not perfectly, we're imperfect human beings. But what if we could create conditions so that every day when we do, are, we are part of something that we felt like we were instrumental, we were vital, we were part of, we belong. And I think you nailed it with your languaging right there. What I, I'm hearing is that belonging is a feeling. I, f I have a feeling inside that I I'm belonging, I belong, versus inclusion is almost like an action of being included. Yeah, it's like, you know, I don't know. I think the dance thing is overplayed a little bit, but at the risk of kind of falling into that cliche, it's around, you know, diversity is a fact. You either are or you aren't, right? That Those are numbers. Uh, you either represent the community or you don't. Um, Equity, of course, we're learning a lot, particularly at the institutional level, is a matter of fairness and justice. And we've got a long way to go on that. Inclusion means, of course, that we're all invited, 
right? We're invited there. We're invited to be part of. But gosh, is it ever different when you're helping to create the music and you're choosing the choreography and you're part of the dance and you're the whole, it's not that you've just been invited. You are a fully rich part of. And the belonging and the feeling, I think it's measured in a number of ways. One, I think it's the degree that we learn and unlearn faster. Secondly, I think the other measurable piece is that I think we we are we generally are more authentic and we're not putting a veneer over who we are. We're we're we, you know we're able to bring our full self. The other is that we are able to ask for and offer help. Um, and I think the other thing is that we're um, you know we're contributing more. We're you know we really genuinely and and we're and we're there's you see more respectful uh, speaking up or talking back or however you want to describe it. There's all those are measurable aspects and outcomes of this feeling that I belong. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So what is the role of a leader in fostering a culture of belonging? Well, the very first thing is uh, that I think the leader has to make a decision uh, she and he that people are more than a resource that the, the very first deep belief has got to be that people are the source so if I think that the people who are on my team are the source versus a resource I begin to think about them differently so I don't make statements glib statements like hey the team you know people are most my most valuable asset and all this stuff even though directionally I think that's well intended it's a different mindset when I think, hey, I've got every single person on my team is a source of achievement. That's huge. So therefore, my obligation is to optimize the contribution of this wonderful, of every human as a source of, of progress and success. So I need to create conditions for that. So therefore, leaders have to think about their obligation is not just to get results, but how they, how might they get results? So they're optimizing the contribution and, and building on the unique strengths of every single person that makes up their team. And when they commit themselves to that, it takes on a different tone of behavior. Right. Yeah, I, I love that that languaging around the conditions. Um, for belonging and the conditions for people to be successful. So let's talk about organizations that have had toxic workplaces and have not thrived. They've actually failed at creating cultures where people thrive. Can you can you tell me um, any examples of what can go drastically wrong and what we can learn from? You know, and I think every organization, because we're, you know, complex organic systems we have we directionally are more thriving or or neutral or toxic and even great organizations that have got maybe units that are not doing so well etc however i think sometimes there are more catastrophic cultural failures i mean people would argue that the reese the the boeing 737 max was a cultural failure they know how to make airplanes they know how to make safe airplanes but when people get confused around what their purpose is and start doing things and become fearful about 
speaking up or uh, then bad things of evident, you know, and at the macro level, there are lots of examples, right, from Volkswagen and it's, you know, failed, uh, uh, you know, fraudulent emission tests to um, Wells Fargo given a million customers phony bank accounts. I mean, they go on and on. People are aware and know in those organizations that that people are making are not doing the right thing. And when there's a catastrophic cultural failure, then something terribly bad happens. And those are the worst and most egregious cases. So there are examples, but by and large, if you take the, and, and, and there's lots of, whether it's Deloitte or McKinsey or the Great Place to Work organization or Fortune, if you take organizations by any number of definitions are great places to work, they create more value by stock, by, by market cap, by a whole bunch of things. If those organizations that have struggled, so if you take the Glassdoor scores or those scores and they're around below the average of 3.2, they're in the twos or something like that, ultimately, whether they're big or small, they're struggling. Bad things have happened or are going to happen. And, you know, you see them uh, look at WeWork and what happened there. Or, you know, or if you're following what happened with Uber when they overextended and lost control of you know, what were initially some values that helped them get going. And then when you start throwing kegs of beer off the rooftop of the Ritz-Carlton for your celebration parties, you're probably, or if you're, or if somebody in the New York Times, like they did on, on uh, Zenefit, start writing about where they got access to an internal communications where people are instructed to not leave bottles of beer and condoms in the stairwells, you're probably off on the wrong track. <laughs> and um, so by and large, the measures though, you know, you're not high, you're, you're, you're losing your top-notch people. You're having trouble attracting people. Your uh, ethical issues are being pushed against. Uh, people are making choices over uh, short-term gains over longer-term sustainability. There's lots of data around it. And that's when you're starting to get in trouble culture-wise. No kidding. So bring on Belongify. I want to understand what the purpose of Belongify is and why you co-founded it. So I began to think back, um, again, uh, circling back to the original idea that uh, it's a chance to reflect on uh, on the uh, looking backwards a little bit. I began to think if I was a CEO again and I had a chance, to, I had a magic wand that I could create conditions of belonging, what might I do and how might I do it? And how might I do it in a highly efficient way? So again, what what are the ingredients then for belonging, the way I think about it, the way, and I've, and I've taken the liberty of expanding some of the research around it. The one uh, belief I have is that we have to connect before content. We need to see each other and know each other first as human beings. So uh, the more that you and I know each other's stories, Laura, on our imperfections and our, you know, authentic humanity, the more we have these bridges. The very fact that I know you like to write mystery novels, or you know, you're, you know, how much you just are committed to be a, to living a fully integrated life, and you know what I know about your three children, and without invading your privacy, but just the more I know about what you're passionate about, what you love to do, 
what you like to read, where you like to hang out, then, and we have these bridges between each other, then we're able to really kind of build off those bridges to go and solve problems, to go and make things happen. Because we know how to, well, we know how to better tap into our strengths and more accepting of our unique characteristics and even quirks. So, so that was the one very first thing is that people have really, you've got to know, we got to see each other, know each other's stories. The second is that I think you, you, I think that Amy Edmondson really tapped into something, the Harvard professor, when she tapped into psychological safety. I really do. I think, I know there's a lot of people talking about it, but generally when I look back, when I lost, when I feel like I didn't belong, I felt like I was really at risk in a team. I really couldn't bring myself and it didn't take very much. And it could, but once that happened, I, I recognized that even though I oftentimes have an ample amount of confidence and content knowledge, but I would hold back. I, would, I wouldn't give it all. I started to think, well, how can you belong when you're starting to pull back and hold back? And when you're really under some sense of duress, you're gonna turtle completely. And so how can you belong if you've got if you've got that? So you've got to create conditions for people by and large imperfectly to really trust that they can be all in. And then the third thing is that if you, if you're just based on activity, if you're transacting, then you're not you really don't get to a pinnacle of belonging because you're doing probably less meaningful work. So you really want to kind of connect to true value of purpose to so when you feel like you're really part of something where you're meaningfully contributing to purpose and then finally when you are part of a team where you're you almost create a difference you have a you you almost um you you there's a certain kind of set of rituals and behaviors you almost feel like in a in a in a confident humble way that you're just part of a great team of and you're part of that you create these conditions of of almost difference making then I think you extend the definition of belonging to something that really is rich belonging. And, and if you can get all aspects of that and you can advance that in an organization, then I think then people thrive. And that's when you really have made belonging a richly defined concept that makes a difference to you and me individually, to our teams and to our leaders. So what is it that belongify does for organizations we've tried to bring um we've tried to bring those elements we've tried to introduce those elements to organizations in kind of a micro uh learning environment so we we um are we try to do it in in one hour sessions where we introduce uh the topic we try to have a profound as impact as we can and then we have um uh, a nudge bot that kind of sort of tries to sustain the behavioral uh, work that sort of starts to move some of the thinking into action, into habits between sessions. And that we're looking to try and make that as sustainable as possible and also do it in a way that um, to, to spend more we don't want to have all of our energy being on the delivery of content. We want it to be on the reinforcement of it in the, in the, in the construct of day-to-day -day working in an organization. 
And if you can do that, it's amazing what you could do with one hour with, you know, in our cases, five one hour interventions in a, in a focused uh, way uh, with the team doing the work kind of in between, but mostly making it an individual kind of initiative and everybody can collectively build strength and then you build momentum and you move the team from A to some way down the road. It's not typically uh, perfect, but it, they advance. And if you could do that with every team, if every team that people said, I know my teammates, they know me, I can authentically show up, the conditions are here, not perfect, but you know what? Mostly I fully can thrive and contribute and I know what I'm doing. I've got clarity of purpose and, I'm, and I make a difference. If every team can do that, you're going to move that organization a hell of a long way down the road. And if I can just, if we can contribute to that in a little way and do it cost effectively and efficiently and make that accessible and then hence get individuals, the team collectively and leaders to act on the, on that, on that behavior going forward. I think we've made a real contribution. I couldn't agree more. And organization by organization we've built a better world right by having each team thrive and people feeling like they belong and people understand them and what you said is they can show up authentically and i think that's a really key point about being able to be your authentic self which is what belonging involves Leadership has such an impact on it. You know, I often get people to say, you know, what's the dinner conversation about you at, as a leader? What do you, what are they, what are people saying when they get home about you? And sometimes it kind of puts, you know, leaders sort of sit back in their chair and go, wow, I never thought about it that way. And I'll get people to tell stories about leaders that have contributed and helped them thrive. And then stories about leaders that have been maybe have, you know, have not been at, have not allowed them to help them be at their best. Those stories about dysfunctional leaders last forever. Yeah, no it kidding. Makes you realize the ripple effect that leaders have. And you know, people don't want perfect leaders. They do expect though to have leaders that help them thrive and contribute and belong. And they should. Well put. What a great concluding statement to this first part of our episode on extraordinary cultures, the evolution from inclusion to belonging. Thank you, Lauren, for such wonderful insights. And I'm really looking forward to continuing this conversation in two weeks to dive a little bit deeper into your life and your work-life wellness and, and talk a little bit more about belonging in the workplace. Thank you so much for joining us today on Where Work Meets Life. I'm passionate about sharing insights from experts around the world on topics at the intersection of where work meets life. If you found this podcast useful, please share with others who may benefit and engage with us on social media. For more articles, information, and tips, sign up for my monthly newsletter at my website, drlaura.live. This podcast summary contains links to the psychology practice I founded, Work Evolution, Canada Career Counseling, and Synthesis Psychology, as well as my current employer, Humans, a nationwide organizational psychology firm focusing on culture and performance. Stay well.